Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Inside the Archives. I am Marty Rosenbaum, XRT's digital content producer and all things social media. If you haven't done so yet, you can find Inside the Archives podcast on iTunes. All you need to do is search the iTunes library for Inside the Archives. Subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and a review, and find a full archive of every single episode we've released thus far. A few weeks ago, we revealed the big winners of the 2018 XRT listener poll at our annual gala at City Winery. The event was fantastic, tons of fun, great time had by all who are in attendance or watching online at 93XRT.com. You can find the full results of the listener poll right now at 93XRT.com slash listener poll. So if you want to check those out, go right ahead and do so. But it got me thinking. We wrapped up the year, and we're getting closer and closer to 2020. And in due time, we're going to have the best of the decades list coming out. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, the 2010s just flew by. I can't believe that we're already wrapping up at the end of the decade after seeing so much great music and everything else that's happened during this time. It's it's really amazing that we're coming to a close. Today's episode is going to focus on the 2010s, specifically, what is the sound of 2010s rock and roll? How do we define it? We can look back at the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even the 2000s and start to piece together the puzzle of what that music looks like and what rock music looked like during those decades. But what does it look like in the 2010s? As we're kicking off the final year of the 2010s before we enter into a new decade, it's time to look back on it. There's going to be plenty of decade and review content coming out towards the end of this year, but you know what? I want to be first in it. So we're doing this podcast in February, and joining me on today's episode is XRT's night guy, Ryan Arnold, and host of New Noise at Nine. Ryan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Marty. Happy to have you here. So I wanted to chat with you about the past decade in music, and you're in a unique position because you do host XRT's weekly new music show, New Noise at Nine, playing the best new tracks that are out there. And you've done that for a couple years now, right? Yeah, about five years now. So five years. So you've had half of the decade of exposing new music. Oh, I never thought of it that way, Marty. Thanks. Yeah. Well, well, Makes me sound all like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, I'd like, to, I'd like to think of you as an authority, whether the listeners agree with that, which, of course, they do. Oh, thank you. I, I'll have them yell at me afterwards for dismissing any credit from there. But you've been surveying the land of new music for half of a decade now and are well-versed in music. I mean, you're probably an unofficial musicologist at this point, so I figured you'd be a good guest to have on the podcast. Are you calling me a nerd? In a, in a very kind way, yes. All right, well, then I will take it as a no, compliment. No malice intended. <laughs> <laughs> but as we're looking back at the 2010s, it's crazy to see how fast it has flown by. I mean, I remember uh, Arcade Fires of Suburbs coming out right at the start of the decade and how much of an impact an album like that had. And the fact that it's turning 10 years old next year is like, wow, that's kind of crazy that it's going on. So what we're going to talk about today is two things. 
the 2010s in music, how it's going to be looked back upon, let's say, 20, 30 years from now, what sound qualities define this era of music, and then looking at it compared to different periods in rock and roll history all the way back to the 1970s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, using the XRT listener poll as our guide throughout this event, looking at the best albums. So, Ryan, the first question that I have for you today is, what sound defines the 2010s? I think it is the reintroduction of some of the classic sounds, some of the, the sounds that made up the songs that we now consider iconic. Um, a little different uh, flavor with them, you know, but they're still kind of uh, reminiscent of like the big arena rock sounds with a couple of the bands that are out now. There's some more emo bands and indie bands that are kind of pulling in elements of, of late 80s, early 90s, you know, grunge and alternative. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of sing-along qualities to the more popular songs that are out there and bands that are playing arenas definitely have that arena quality, even if it's not as brash and in your face as, as it may have been in the past. Oh, you're absolutely right. And I think that it's also a uh, tip of the hat, an ode, an homage to that music that came before them and us, that it's still kind of keeping it alive, but putting their own mark on it. No, it's one of the most, uh, I guess, exciting and experimental decades mm. where you're seeing and hearing more blended music, you know, blended genres, new genres that never really could have been imagined. Uh, and there really hasn't been anything that exciting. I mean, certainly not the 10 years, the decade prior, mm-hmm. um, maybe late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. I mean, these. You saw the the grunge and alternative movement take over in the early late 80s, even in early 90s, and then so many bands started to copycat that entire sound. And towards the turn of the millennium, you had bands like the White Stripes, the Strokes, bringing that garage rock, you know, short, sweet rock and roll uh, sound, along with like the Black Keys doing more of the bluesier rock. Um, and then that seemed to peter out after a while because a lot of people climbed onto that bandwagon. But what about what you just described made the 2010s, you know, more transformational period than the ones I just mentioned? I think that I feel better way to put it. This is just speaking for me because I experienced it when I heard something that was reminiscent of, you know, something from the 60s or 70s. I went back and I discovered new old music. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. I, I I don't remember listening to Nirvana saying, I, I, I got to figure out what went into that. I have to find more that sounds like that because y- y- there was nothing. you know. But you're listening to bands nowadays, uh, especially in the last four or five years, and you're hearing those influences. You're hearing the influences from the mid-70s. You're hearing um, this new soul kind of, I don't want to call it a genre, but you know a lot of the new soul or the blue-eyed soul that's coming out, well, you know there's someone who heard Leon Bridges and St. Paul and the Broken Bones and instantly went and looked for Wilson Pickett. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting you brought that up because I did a podcast a few months ago with Emma Mack and Terry Hemmert about soul music, and we've talked a lot about the neo-soul movement and why it's been gaining popularity these days. And a lot of that is attributed towards people going back in time to discover the roots of soul music and you're growing this audience that wasn't there beforehand 
but gets connected to this music through newer artists like Leon Bridges, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, you know, even Sharon Jones and artists like Charles Bradley. May they rest in peace. Looking at the 2010s at the XRT listener poll, earlier on in the decade, it was dominated by the likes of Arcade Fire and Mumford & Sons, the Black Keys in 2014 with their album Turn Blue, and then it seemed to be a bit of a shift once we hit 2015. Now we have less data to work with because we're only up to the 2018 listener poll, so we'll see who the big winner is this year eagerly awaiting whatever album that may be. But we had Wilco, David Bowie, Nathaniel Rateliff, and Spoon taking home the best album in the XRT listener poll in the latter half of this decade. Now, those are four different artists. And compared to the first half of the decade, where it was Arcade Fire, Mumford & Sons, Black Keys dominating, you know, what do you think can be attributed to the variance? You know, the bands that you just mentioned have been around for a while. And every artist, we know this, goes through sonic changes. They, 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 they do something different. They grow with their audiences. Uh, I would attribute that almost kind of staying power, staying relevant. Mm-hmm. I would attribute that. Mm. Well, it's a, I think it's interesting with those two bands, especially Arcade Fire and Mumford and & Sons, who were pretty active in the earlier part of the 2010s. And then took a break and came back with new music that wasn't as critically acclaimed right away. I mean, I enjoyed both of the albums that uh, Mumford and Sons with Delta and then in Arcade Fire with Everything Now, I think were both stellar albums in their own right, but didn't have as much of an impact as their earlier work did in the decade. When history looks back on those two bands, I think it's still going to associate the 2010s with their earlier work because it was so impactful, but do you foresee their legacies, maybe not legacy, but just the way people look at them petering out a little bit because their later work in the decade wasn't as well acclaimed. Mumford and Sons, we didn't know what to do when we first heard Mumford and Sons. I mean, think about the first time you heard Marcus Mumford open his mouth and stomp his foot on the floor. Uh, They are the closest to genre defining as I think the 2010s has mm-hmm. um, in twenty or thirty years, I, I don't think I don't think people are going to say Mumford and who. I, I absolutely think they're going to be around. I th- absolutely think that they're going to be an example of here's how you bring listeners and fans along, and this is what made them famous. And I've talked about this on the radio that there's something about the Delta record. There's so much new stuff, and they're 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 electric now, and they're there's a choir, and they're experimenting with world music, and even though it sounds different, there's something about it, something about it in, in that record. It's something that we fell in love with ten years ago. Right. I think for Mumford and Sons, that's what it, kind of their legacy is going to be. They kind of grew and are growing and bringing uh, their their audience and their fans along for the ride, but still being really open still being really accessible to people who might not know them or just be into them. Uh, Arcade Fire, I, I don't know. I think that you get down to that, and it they remind me of, of David Bowie. In mm-hmm. that one record was just not like the other, and you were all over the board. But there's no denying they're brilliant. They're musical geniuses. Yeah. Uh, 
the the experimental you know the everything now that's a great listen front to back and you want to go on like a musical journey just listen to that album start to finish it's it's absolutely it's beautiful it's a beautiful album and and that's something that i think that arcade fire is going to be known for is just how much they put into to their record their craft right and i think the thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these bands are still in their infancy in the grand scheme of things now knock on wood that they continue to create music and venture down new paths but for these bands they've only put out a handful of albums and you look at someone like david bowie who you know, I think by mid seventies, have like fifteen studio records. Imagine what these bands are going to be like when they get to that point, and how much just music is going to be within their catalogs. Where you may be able to associate their earlier work with the specific period of time, a la you know early twenty tens, but seeing them evolve to craft their own sound, which is going to let me segue into my next question for you: is bands that you can associate with almost any decade. Artists like Foo Fighters, Green Day, who broke out in the 90s, had music in the 2000s, 2010s. I mean, heck, look at the Rolling Stones even. Um, (laughs) Across multiple decades have put out stellar albums that are not necessarily associated with that period of time, but almost associated with them being the Rolling Stones. The two-part question here. Why are those bands able to do so, and how do they get to that point? Take Foo Fighters and Green Day. They are straight ahead, rock and roll, party bands. They're out to have a good time. And if you don't have a good time at a Green Day or a Foo Fighters show, that's on you. Yeah, you're doing something wrong. Right. (laughs) So why do they, I guess, kind of stay or stick? Is How do they get their staying power? And when they release a new album in 2019, let's say... Whenever in the 2010s, you know, how does it have? How is it as powerful as it is with their earlier work? Okay, it, speaking for uh, uh, Foo Fighters, I feel that that they Fish is another example of this. Have grown with their audience. You know, the early the first couple of records, they were fun and there were kind of some, you know, kind of cheesy, kind of campy songs, but it was straight ahead rock and roll. Well, now that you know, Dave Grohl just turned 50. And he's got a couple of kids. And that means his fans are about that too, mm-hmm. you know, by and large. Uh, but they've done a good job of growing with their fans, but they haven't forgotten, like, we're a rock and roll band. You know, you're going to come to a Foo Fighters show and, and you're going to leave exhausted. Uh, Green Day is much the same way. But, I mean, I want to mention Fish. The the record Fuego that came out, That uh, that's their most recent that was the one that like smacked me in the back of the head going jesus these guys are they're 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 matured they're you know they're recognizing that you know their fans are too and they're dealing with the things you know bob mold put out a record and he played uh, live from studio x and he addressed this where yeah he was a straight up is a straight up rocker and will take any uh rocker to task but his songs took on a more, hey, this is what I'm dealing with in my life now. I'm an older guy. I got parents that are getting older. I see the world differently. And it's just relatable. Yeah. It's absolutely relatable. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you brought up growing with your audience because not all bands are afforded that opportunity to do so. And, you know, luckily enough, for like, like the Bob Mold, Bob Molds of the world who have been around for decades at this point, 
you can do that and you have that built-in fan base where it's going to be received. Whether or not it's received well is obviously up to the fans as with any music. But for those types of artists, when you aren't necessarily pigeonholed with a certain time period or associated with that time period, it's a little bit easier to take more chances and have them stick how do the how do those artists connect with newer fans then like when i when i I went to the fish shows at allstate arena this past october of 2018 and it was a wide variety of ages that were there you had kids who were probably in high school whose parents turned them on to the band you had people who have probably been following the band since the late 80s and it's just such a wide spectrum that's represented you know how how, how do artists like that continue to attract new fans i think you just said it they're there with parents or they're there with cousins or siblings um think about some of the bands that you got into and how you got into it I, you know me and the grateful dead it was it was my aunt nancy you know and it was jazz and going to a jazz clubs it was my dad uh i wouldn't have i wouldn't have found those on my own so i think that's how you're going to have this great music you're going to have these great bands and they're changing their sounds, but they're still being very inclusive. You know, again, Mumford and Sons, they've done a great job of someone who doesn't like the first record or heard the first album, heard Sign No More and was like, this is just not for me. Well, by the time they're four records into it, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, okay, now I'm along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, you under, you get what the band is about and I think it speaks to the band that it, encompasses their entire sound that it's not just going to be pigeonholed towards that first album or you know second record first ep whatever you want to call it right that you're evolving with it while still retaining whatever the roots are that they laid down with their record so aside from mumford and sons in your opinion no definitive statement put some money on this if you want to gamble but not endorsing gambling here however there are some bands of the 2010s that you think will be like Mumford and Sons that are able to transcend this time period association and really become kind of like the Foo Fighters or Green Day where you can listen to them in any era and it's going to sound relevant. What are some of the bands on your list that you think are going to be like that? Wow. That was one I did not prepare for, Marty. You curb <laughs> nicely done. I think Cage the Elephant is one. I think Cage the Elephant is will be like that. Uh, Jack White, even when he's back with the tours, or he's doing a solo record, or he's sitting in on a song, there's something about him. That's his sound. Uh, a good example of, of Jack White is the song, he, he did a song with Loretta Lynn, and then he sat in on Beyonce's record, and then he got the rec on tours together, and there's something about his sound. Yeah, I know that's Jack White. Oh, Jack White's on that song. You know, Arcade Fire. I, I don't know about Arcade Fire because they've been so all over the board. You know, again, they're pushing boundaries. They're constantly exploring, and they're really making that, uh, making those records accessible. You know, very inclusive to people. I think Coldplay is another one. You know, 20 years. I mean, they're a huge band. Yeah. And, and they were from, you know, minute one. I don't know. I mean, this is totally just me thinking, uh, or spitballing, but do you think there's a little bit of the, well, that formula works, why change it? I mean, potentially. 
that's, you know, making a hit, how you do it can change over time, but there's some artists that just have a knack for doing so. Uh, I remember, I mean, albeit much different than what people may think of as hits, but someone talked about fish guitarist Trey Anastasio, and they worked on him with a song, and the quote was, that guy just songwriting. He just, just five minutes and go down, you know, five minutes go down and he's got a beautiful song. For me, it takes like three months to do. I, yeah. I can't remember who said it, but it was a little, along those lines of some people just have that natural knack for it. And I would have to agree with you. Coldplay knows how to get people's ears, get their attention. Uh, even if it's, you know, through the melodies, through the lyrics, sing along, whatever it is. And you got to think at this point in their career, it's worked for them. And why not continue doing that moving forward? Totally with you. Yeah. You know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, may Tom Petty rest in peace, miss him every day. Um, you know, he did this, there was a, uh, oh God, who was it? It was Roger McGuinn, the Burts. And uh, this video or this this clip rather is in the um, Running Down a Dream documentary. And uh, Roger McGuinn calls Tom Petty to the recording studio and says, Tom, they got me trying to sing this song and, and I, I just ain't happening, man. So Tom Petty sits down in the studio and there's a couple of, you know, record guys or, or managers or whomever. And Tom Petty says, what, what, I, I could go smoke a joint in my car and write better song lyrics than this in five minutes. <laughs> How can you do this? This is, this is the founder of the birds, the man who sang, turn, turn, turn. You can't have him singing this. <laughs> You know, but again, it's like, you know what works. Right. We're in an interesting period of music right now. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the latter half of the 2010s in the XRT listener poll has not seen a single repeat artist when it comes to winner of best album of the year. I mean, unfortunately, we're not going to get another David Bowie album anytime soon. It's been a while since we've heard from Wilco. Nathaniel Rateliff is still very young in his career and Spoon they've been around for a long time too. And it's, it's, you know, on a side note, it is cool to see them finally get that recognition because they've, they've been putting out fantastic music for such a long period of time. The next topic I want to talk about is bands like Spoon or even uh, Wilco, you know, St. Vincent artists that have been around for more than a decade at this point, but have seemingly crept into that household name status tour in the 2010s. You know, I think those artists are in interesting positions. And how do you think they move forward? Because it, they, they've put in the work, they've grinded away to get to where they are today and are putting out records that people are going to buy, playing at places like the Chicago Theater where they'll sell out shows. Yet they have been around for a while but are associated with this time period. St. Vincent is a great example. She hustles incredible musician and she could stand on those merits alone mm -hmm. but she i mean we've seen her do it she will shake every hand she will talk to every fan she you know that's how you do it. household name that's how you do it on top of the fact she's an incredibly kind and generous and wonderful human being you know so that's very sincere i mean that's goes into saint vincent mm -hmm. just my my observation um you mentioned the listener poll and not having repeats in, in, in any particular category. But think about how, like Nathaniel Rateliff a few years ago was was voted um, Rookie of the Year. Yeah. 
And then a couple years later, he was uh, in Song of the Year. You know, Wilco, the same thing. They, they kind of bounce around. So that's a testament to their staying power, too. Yeah, they have a great single. They Oh, my God, they put on an incredible... Con- Wilco, I mean, w- a Wilco show, especially in Chicago, is... is it's a must-see uh, event. Yeah, it is. It's an event. It absolutely is. Um, David Byrne, you know, uh, this last listener poll, David Byrne won uh, Best Concert of 2018, and an XRT listener told me, uh, after they had seen one of them last summer, that it was a feast for the senses. Wow. You know, and, and it's true. I mean, it was unbelievable. You, le- you left, you didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. You literally had to digest it. But anyways, my, my point is that it's different now. You know, it's not just about making the record. It's about how you deliver it to people, how you deliver yourself or your band yeah. to fans. Well, how do you think these artists fit in the greater scope of 2010 rock and roll? And when you're looking back and defining it, because like I said before, they've been around for a while, so you can't pigeonhole them as artists who just came out in this decade and started their career. They really became who they were in this decade, though. Yeah, that's so I say this on the radio a lot. I mean it. It might be new to you. It mightn't be new, but it might be new to you. And that's all that matters. Hmm. You, th- you hear these artists taking, you know, Spoon, for example, you know, Hot Thoughts, again, killer record, four or five, you know, four or five singles on the, on the record. It's a great record. It sounds kind of different than what they were doing in 2007. It doesn't yeah. sound like the underdog. Yeah. But somebody found the underdog because they heard Hot Thoughts and they worked backwards. Right. It's like a giant puzzle. That's what I love about music. Yeah. I mean, you really, there's a never ending supply to it. And any lineage you go, you're going to find something fascinating. If I ever told you about, if I ever told you about my dad's kind of take on, on music? No. So I got into The Clash and The Grateful Dead kind of at the same time. Or better way to put it, I found The Clash by way of The Grateful Dead. Hmm. So I went to a Grateful Dead show with my dad. I was, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. And uh, they close the show with a very Buddy Holly version of I Fought the Law. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And I said to my dad, this is incredible. He goes, well, then you should listen to The Clash, their version. Oh, my God. And then, you know, off to the races. And I think that, you know, you certainly know my affinity towards The Clash. Yeah. Uh, but that's my dad's thing. And that's what I think is, we're seeing now. Oh, you like this? Well, then check this out. Yeah. Oh, you want to hear where they got that sound? Listen to this. And then all of a sudden, you're back 50, 60 years. Oh, my God, this is amazing. And you can hear elements of, you know, soul. And you can hear elements of this psychedelic rock in the, you know, mid to late 60s. And how it was weaved and transformed into where it is with that particular artist right now. Yeah. And that, it's, it's a really good story. And it makes me wonder if the reason we haven't seen repeat listener poll winners for album of the year in the latter half of the decade is for exactly that reason because a we have people that are smarter listeners with their access to music and b maybe they're more open to finding those different types of bands and really digging and digging and digging through the roots of those bands and just the various connections that there are that you're not 
as closely aligning certain bands with a certain time period. Certainly not uh, aligning a certain band with a certain sound right. anymore. Right. Uh, there was a, uh, uh, it was a CNN, you know, through the decades program. Maybe it was the decades through music, but they, there was someone who said, um, hip hop is the last new genre of music when Rapper's Delight came out in 1979. Mm. And I think there's some truth to that. But the mid and early 20 teens dispelled that. You know, there probably wasn't much new groundbreaking, with the exception of grunge, mm -hmm. there wasn't much new groundbreaking genres, you know? But now there, is, now there are. Yeah. You know, you're hearing all this stuff. You're hearing bands that are kind of creating their own, their own sound. You know, neo soul. There's new blues. That I've been hearing that phrase a lot. And you listen to new blues artists next to, you know, T Bone Walker and Buddy Guy. You go, oh, okay, yeah, I got it. Yeah, that is a different spin on it. That's a new spin on it. That's a kind of a mixture of more soul and hip hop and blues. Okay, right. well that's cool. Right. Yeah, I mean and it's 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 taking what was set before you and making it your own, which I love. I mean, I don't think there's <laughs> you talk to any musician, you're going to run into a half an hour conversation of what their influences are and, you know, what music influenced their music and no one's going to say, I just decided to create this from scratch. Right. If they do say that, they're very arrogant. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, look, man, that's that's just not true. Right. That is just not true. Right. There's three chords, you yeah. know? I mean, come on. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of different uh, genres, a lot of little different hit songs in different genres were made on, you know, the G, the D, and the C chords. Yeah, exactly. Well, we are recording this in February of 2019, so if you are listening to this at the end of the year... Uh, feel free to call us idiots because we may have just, you know, totally overlooked something that has come out in the past or the upcoming, what is that now? Nine months till, yeah, nine, nine, ten months until 2019 is done. But what, what I'm getting at with this is the decade that we have just gone through when looking at the XRT listener poll album of the year winners where artists like Arcade Fire and Mumford and Sons dominated the first half of the decade and then you get the variety towards the second half of the decade i believe that trend is going to continue on in future listener polls i don't think we're going to see repeat artists over the next several years and if we do i'll be happy to do so because it means we've gotten a fantastic record out of them but it's not going to be because they were so expertly able to create music that sounds like the 2020s damn that's your mic drop right there, Stepping Marty. Stepping off the soapbox. <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's a you make a couple of really good points. I, I think though that the bands that are going to do it, you know, the, the the bands who will defy that, they will defy those odds. Are the ones that are going to keep recognizing that I need to be inclusive. I need to make sure I don't give the fans who are with me from the very start a reason to leave. Foo Fighters, I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. Foo Fighters, much like the fish show you were talking about. It was Foo Fighters show at, at Wrigley in August. Looked around, there were fathers and sons, mothers yeah. and daughters, and how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a trend that I really 
think will continue on in the in, in the future and hope those bridges continue to be aligned with one another. So as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, this is about the decade that was the 2010s. And I'm going to put you on the spot again, Ryan, and ask you to name five bands you believe defined the sound of 2010s rock and roll. Let's say the Black Keys, Arcade Fire, Mumford and Sons. Honestly, I think pop like Maroon 5. I would throw Foo Fighters in there. I absolutely would throw Foo Fighters in there. So we had Arcade Fire, Mumford and Sons, Foo Fighters, Black Keys, and Maroon 5. Maroon 5. Yeah, I think that that's a fair list. And I think if you're going to be looking back on this podcast at the end of the decade, it will certainly hold us test of time. But until then, there's a lot of great new music that we can look forward to in 2019. And the best way to do so is to listen to Ryan Arnold Thursday nights, 9 p.m. on 93XRT or streaming us on the radio.com app where Ryan goes through the week's best new music on New Noise at 9. If you want to get any news notes on the show... Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Ryan Arnold Rocks, and you get you take song song suggestions from people. Always input. take song song yeah. suggestions. One of my favorite questions to ask listeners: uh, What are you listening to that that's turning you on? What are you listening to that you'd want someone like me to know about? And someone like me, meaning a musicologist yeah. slash nerd. Who are some of those bands that have been recommended to you? Uh, King Gizzard. Oh yeah, yeah. That King I, Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah, that was wild. un unbelievable. Someone told me to get back into Ween. Yeah, uh, so I did that. Uh, those are two that came up. You know, uh, I remember hearing the War on Drugs shortly after I started here, uh, and blown away. Yeah, you know. But that was again a listener had said, you know, check out this band. So you got a recommendation? Don't be afraid to reach out. It's the moral of the story here. One of another great way to to really find new music: walk into a record store and ask ask someone who's working behind the counter that same question: what What's new? What have you brought in? What are you liking? What are you playing right now? And you'd be amazed what knowledge, what you know, new artists you'll walk out with. And you know, if you're like me, then armful of records and several hundred dollars lighter yeah your uh, bank account may hate you but your music taste will absolutely love you <laughs> well ryan thanks so much for hopping on the podcast and i'm looking forward to uh, what's to come on your show in 2019 thanks marty Big thanks again to Ryan Arnold for hopping on the podcast and having that excellent conversation about rock and roll and what the 2010s legacy will be like when we look back on it 20, 30 years from now. As I mentioned earlier, if you haven't done so, you can follow him on Twitter at Ryan Arnold Rocks. Throw him a couple of recommendations of a few bands you've been listening to lately, and he may just put them on the show. You never know. It's worth a shot. You don't know if you don't try, right? And while I'm at it, you can follow me on Twitter at Marty Rosenbaum. Let me know that you've been listening to the podcast. You got any comments, questions, jokes, whatever it might be, throw it my way, and I'll give you a shout-out next time we record an episode of Inside the Archives. If you haven't done so, follow 93XRT on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at 93XRT. 
Before we wrap up today's show, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search the library for Inside the Archives, hit the subscribe button, leave us a rating and a review, and find a full listing of every single episode we've released thus far. And one of the things that I want to look back on, a couple episodes I did a 2019 Concert Tour Rumors podcast, and some of them are beginning to come to fruition. Some of them are still up in the open and in the speculation state. I'd recommend, since we're still earlier on in the year, going back and giving a listen to that podcast, seeing what predictions have come true, what predictions may still be out there, especially as we have festival season rolling around the corner and some of those lineups coming to be. So give that episode a listen, as well as all the other episodes we've released so far. It's a bunch of great content with your favorite XRT DJs sharing some of the fantastic stories that have helped shape their career. And some of those stories you may have thought existed off the air and now have been confirmed. Thanks again to Ryan Arnold for hopping on the podcast today. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in and listening to the podcast. Reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at Marty Rosenbaum. And you can subscribe to Inside the Archives on iTunes. For 93XRT and Inside the Archives, I'm Marty Rosenbaum. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.